Welcome to the sermon podcast of Northridge Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. I'm Betsy Sweetenberg, the pastor here, and I hope that in this podcast, you see what we seek to do week after week, approaching the stories of our faith with a holy curiosity, not shutting the book because the stories are hard or there are truths we'd rather ignore. Instead, approaching scripture, trusting that God will meet us there, full of grace and truth, teaching us something new about how we are to live in this world God so loves. So we turn to scripture, let's pray. Pour out your spirit, O God. Pour out your spirit on these words so that we might hear them anew. And pour out your spirit on each of us so that we might live these words anew as we go from this place. In your son's name we pray. Amen. We continue working our way through the various types of literature in the Bible, and we're going to stay with the gospel this week. Last week, uh, you heard a story from the gospels. Savannah preached about the woman at the well. But today is a different kind of story. It's a story about the gospel. And so we turn to the book of Acts, which follows on the heels of those four Gospels. The book of Acts is the story of the early church. It's the first followers who are attempting to get organized and spread the good news of the gospel to others. So here are a couple things you need to know before you hear this scripture to make sense of it. This is a story, in part, about an Ethiopian eunuch. And you could look at Ethiopia on a map, but in this, the sense of this story, it just means a place far, far away. The Bible may as well read Timbuktu. They just want to make a point that this is a person who's not a local and from a foreign place. He's also a eunuch, which means that he was castrated. He works for the queen. He handles all the queen's money. Um, He's a very prominent person in the queen's cabinet, but he has been castrated, so he's not a threat. He is a man who is able to be around women um, for that reason. So he's a dignitary, um, but his sexuality has been stripped from him. So when you hear about Philip, the apostle, and this Ethiopian eunuch, you might envision on the streets of D.C. a dignitary who's sitting in his limousine waiting for some next important appointment, inviting a street corner preacher to get in the car with him and talk about the scriptures. That's what an odd pairing these two are. Here now, this story about the gospel from Acts chapter 8 verses 26 through 40. Then an angel of the Lord said to the apostle Philip, get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So we got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, 
go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you were reading? The eunuch replied, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that the eunuch was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop in both of them. Philip and the eunuch went down into this water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm curious about how many of you know this story. Will you just raise your hands? And among those, there's no shame if you don't know it, that's fine. Um, But for those who do know it, have you learned it with that title that are referred to as the story about the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch? Does that sound familiar to anybody? I see some heads nod. That's what I've always heard this story called. And I've heard plenty of sermons about the unlikely baptism of the eunuch and hailing Philip as a great example. But it wasn't until this week that I gave much thought to how misleading that title seems in the context of all that happens in that scripture. The conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch converted from what to what, I wonder. And the eunuch is pretty amazing in this story. He's reading the scriptures on his own without prompting. He's trying to make sense of Isaiah's words. He's the one who asked to be baptized. Philip gets all the credit for his conversion, but it seems to me that the eunuch does some heavy lifting in this story. So calling it the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch makes it seem like something that just happened to him. Maybe my fresh perspective has to do with the fact that I am fresh off a week-long youth conference where our youth joined a group of some 800 other youth from across the country to engage in conversations about faith and to worship and fellowship together every day. In my experience, there are few things as humbling or as hopeful as getting sustained time with youth. So if you want to ask better questions of your own faith, if you want to shrink the distance between your head and your heart, if you want to be in awe of people who are willing to authentically and compassionately engage 
hard conversations, spend time with our youth. They are incredible. And this week, I was just amazed time and time again by their candor and their curiosity about faith. And the keynote speaker asked what questions were at the top of mind for the youth gathered. And she gave an opportunity for people to submit their questions so she could respond directly to what was on the minds of that group of youth. And she got a lot of really great questions, but one question quickly rose to the top of the list simply because it was submitted so many times. What does the church say about gay people? So many of those youth wanted to know. 800, 900 youth gathered, and this is the one question lingering overhead for so many of them. This is the question that they are waiting on their adult leaders to answer. Quite frankly, I was a little bit surprised, in part because that's the same question I feel like my generation was so eager to have answered, and I know that we weren't the first ones waiting for an answer to that question. So I guess it was naive hope on my part that we'd be the last group of youth waiting for a clear answer to that. What does the church say about blank? I wonder how you'd complete that question. We all have it at some point in our life of faith. Maybe for you, you're asking the same question as our youth, or maybe you're asking about a different group of people. What does the church say about people who are divorced? What does the church say about women? What does the church say about people of other faiths, people of no faiths? What does the church say about people who don't look like me? For us who make up the church, the question before us has never changed, and it's a really simple question. It can be boiled down to two words. Who counts? Who counts? Who is worthy of God's life-giving and life-saving love? That's the question at the heart of the book of Acts. The full title of that book is The Acts of the Apostles. And I'd say that their biggest act in that whole book is simply asking the question, who counts? You can read the book of Acts for yourself, and it all comes back to that. Every story, every encounter, at the heart of it is that question, who counts? If you want to read about the first committee meeting that turned into the first church fight, read Acts 15. It tells us that there was no small dissension or disputation concerning the whole deliberation. That is nice talk for fight. Who counts in God's kingdom? That's what their committees were discussing. Who qualifies a person to be permitted entrance into the Christian community? Who's invited into this holy economy of grace? That's the question that the eunuch asks Philip when he asks to be baptized. Do I count? Do you church folks think I'm worthy of receiving the good news that you can't shut up about? One morning during the keynote 
there were a group of youth who were part of a panel discussion, and Pam, the keynoter, asked them what it meant to be churchy. And quickly they said, that's not a compliment, don't say it. <laughs> it's a label to indicate people who are exclusive, holier than thou. Usually there's a tinge of judgment and hypocrisy thrown into the mix too when you call someone churchy. Maybe the eunuch was expecting Philip to be a churchy person and quickly rattle off all the reasons that he was not worthy of God's love. And to be clear, according to the laws, in our holy scriptures, there were many reasons that Philip could have given to justify the reason that the eunuch should not be baptized. But Philip doesn't do that. Despite knowing how he'd upset his leaders back home, despite the rules that he'd had hammered into his head about ministry, despite all the boundaries, what does Philip do? He wades right down into those waters and he baptizes the eunuch. You count, he proclaims. You've always counted. God has already claimed you. I don't think this is really a story about the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. I think a more fitting title would be the conversion of the church. That's the conversion I see in this story. Philip transformed what it means to be churchy that day. Instead of rules and barriers, he acknowledged that God's always been about drawing the circle ever wider. And we who make up the church, well, we're the ones who get to testify to that good news in our time and in our place. Philip acknowledged that God had already said yes to all God's children, so who are we to say no to any of them? I'd like to think that the eunuch walked out of those baptismal waters dripping wet and thinking to himself, wow, now I get to be churchy, as if it was a good thing. Answering the question, who counts, well, that's the work of the church in every age. Years ago, there was a preacher named Fred Craddock. He was fresh out of seminary, and he served this small, beautiful church of wonderful people in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And at that time, Oak Ridge was rapidly expanding. Lots of new people were moving to the town as the construction industry boomed. Many of the newcomers lived near the church in mobile homes and trailers and lean-tos that were filled with children and large family. So Fred saw all those new people and thought his church ought to reach out to him. So at the next board meeting, he recommended a plan to reach out to the newcomers. Here's our mission, he says. Oh, I don't think so, the chairman replied. They won't fit in, and after all, they're just here temporarily. Fred was surprised. They may be here temporarily, but they need the gospel. They need a church. That meeting lasted a long time and then ended by calling another meeting for the following week. And at that meeting, a resolution was presented. I move that in order to be a member of this church, your family has to own property in the county. The motion passed unanimously once Fred was reminded he wasn't allowed to vote. They just won't fit in here, they said. 
Twenty years later, Fred and his wife Nettie were driving nearby and decided to stop by the church. It took a while to find it because lots of new homes had been built and an interstate also had been constructed, but they finally found that little country road and nestled in the pines, they found that beautiful white frame church that was sitting there just as always. Except now there was a big parking lot and it was full of cars and trucks and motorhomes. There were some motorcycles too. And as they pulled into the lot, they saw a big sign in front of the church. It said, barbecue, all you can eat, chicken, ribs, pork. They went inside and the place was packed with all kinds of people, white, black, Hispanic, rich, poor, southerners, northerners. And Fred said to his wife, it's a really good thing this isn't a church anymore. Because if it was, these people wouldn't be allowed in. These folks just wouldn't fit in. I guess we could say that Fred's congregation was just too churchy. After this week with our youth, it seems to me that the conversion we need most is the same conversion that Fred's church needed. We need a conversion of what it means to be the church in today's world, what it means to be churchy in our world. Because when I read the good news of the gospel, I hear the story of a love so grand that we could never overestimate its power for ourselves or for anyone else. And that's enough of an answer for me when it comes to the question of who counts. Who counts? You do. I do. The person I've said no to counts too. The person that we, the church, have said no to counts too because God has already said yes to all of us in Jesus Christ. Who are we to say no? Church, the words to the question may have changed, but it is the same question nonetheless. Who counts? And my prayer for us is that the community that we create here in this building and the lives that we live beyond this place as the church in the world is a clear answer to all we meet, that God's love is for all people, even you. Amen. Go out into God's world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, honor all persons, love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Spirit bless you and keep you this day, and always, always. Amen.